If you've got your Bibles, we are going to be in 1 Peter, so we're in the, the second chunk, if you like, um, just literally going to teach through the whole of 1 Peter. Um, everything is podcasted. If you weren't here last week, you've a great job setting us up with that first bit of Peter. So we're going to be in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, through to chapter 2, verse 3. That's where we're going to be. So I'm going to read it to you, um, and then we're going to rattle through it and pick some bits out. So why don't we pray? Father, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living. Thank you that it's active. Thank you that it's relevant. Um, and so we pray that you just make your word come alive. Ask that we would understand it, um, that you'd just have, we'd have those light bulb moments, God. We would understand, maybe the first time, what it is that you're saying. So just be with us as we look at your wonderful word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Let me read it to you. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he, uh, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake." Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So in your faith, so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay. Get ready. This is a chunky piece of the Bible. Um, we could probably have divided this into six weeks' worth to re- unpack it. And, but essentially, what Peter's doing here is he is calling the people reading and he's calling us to live a holy life. Pretty much that's a simple message. There's lots of other bits in it, but that's the core message. Um, and, you know, we see that in lots of bits of the New Testament. So lots of the New Testament was letters written to the early church. Um, and lots of the the kind of call to saying, hey guys, you need to live a holy life. You need to live a life that, that is befitting as a Christian. Always in the New Testament, all these letters, the basis for this kind of call and this encouragement and challenge is always because of what Jesus has done. Always, always. It's never, I want to set this out there straight away, it is never you need to live the right way so you measure up, so God will love you, so God will accept you, so you better sort of smarten up, sharpen up. And It's never, ever that. It's it's always that we understand that when we're reading these kind of passages, which are, they are quite weighty, that we understand that, you know, we are living under grace, where we, um, you know, God, God saves us not because of what I have done or what I haven't done, but because of what Jesus did. So we have to have that lens on when we're reading it. Um, so it's because you do measure up, you know, because of what Jesus has done, then you need to live a holy life. You need to live in a way that reflects that. Um, so what I want to do really briefly, I want to actually, I 
keep your Bibles open. I want to just pull out a couple of things. We'll go through it verse by verse and then, re- and then really land on looking at what does that call to holy living look like. Um, so just a couple of things. So even the very first word in verse 13, where it says, therefore, whenever in the Bible it starts with therefore or and so, and any of those, it's not just kind of one of the openers. And it, like, it's always good to kind of look back. Um, so, well, what, therefore, because of what? Um, so basically, in this point, this is, um, this is what Phil was looking at last week, you know, essentially, where he was unpacking the, the new birth we've been given into a living hope, an imperishable inheritance, and God's amazing power in our lives. You know, because of the good news that Peter said is so amazing, even the angels wanted to kind of peek into it, because of that, Therefore, so that, that's the, therefore links last week and this. So because of this amazing hope and inheritance we have, therefore. And then he goes on to say, with minds that are alert and fully sober. I like this verse. To me it says, listen, people, engage your brain. Like, like start thinking, get ready, and be activated. The message translation of the Bible, um, which is a kind of modern um, version, it translates this verse like this. It says, so roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. It, it kicks against any idea that kind of, you know, being a Christian, you know, we can, is passive. You know, we can just kind of sit and let life happen to us. And well, God's sovereign, so he'll do it if he wants. And like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's, n- there's nothing passive about living as a Christian. And, you know, Peter is saying here is, look, is sharpen up, start thinking. You know, there, there's nothing in the Bible you know, about chucking our brains out. So engage the brain and get ready, is what he's saying. And then verses 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. This is really the kind of the crux of this passage. Um, but it's really important that we understand um, the, the context of this holy living is relationship with God. So as children, not as servants, not as you know, tolerated minions, as children, you live a holy life. It's out of connection with God as a perfect heavenly father, um, out of connection and relationship with him. That's what motivates and sustains and enables us to live a holy life. If we don't have that piece set, we're going to struggle. And we're going to be trying to just tick boxes and measure up. But if we understand it's out of relationship, um, that is a very good first step. You know, that's, that's the why, if you like, behind this call to living a holy lifestyle. And it's about resisting where we were before. So he says, look, don't conform to you know, the way you used to live when you didn't know. Like, when you were you're ignorant. Like, ignorance is not stupid. Ignorance, I didn't know. I was unaware of this amazing grace and goodness of this wonderful God. And so I didn't live according to it because I didn't know. And, but what Peter's saying is, look, just like, don't go back to that. You need to resist that. We need to stand firm in who we are now as children. But notice the kind of children. It is obedient children. Like, there is this requirement on us to to live as Father God wants us. Um, verse 17, again, since you call on a father, it's that, you know, the highest revelation in Jesus coming was to reveal God as father. Um, and I know that doesn't have good connotations for everybody. You know, we don't all have perfect fathers and some of us have, you know, hideously imperfect fathers, but God is a perfect father to us. And since we call on a father who judges each person impartially, live out your time here as foreigners in reverent fear. This is a kind of a chunky verse, I think. Um, You know, foreigners, what does that mean? Um, I think it means your time on earth 
like in terms of, you know what, this is not all there is. This is where you are for a while, but this isn't it. You know, Peter was so fixed on heaven and the reality of what goes on in eternity that for him it meant like his perspective on on life now it wasn't that he it's that have you heard that phrase you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly use like there's that's not it there's stuff for us to do um but he absolutely had this this pick this i suppose this view this lens of this just isn't all there is and this isn't all there is for me i am i'm a foreigner here in one sense you know actually i'm a citizen of heaven says that in the bible but I am here on earth right now. His view was so framed by the amazing hope of eternity um, that it just for him was a, a no-brainer. Like, this is, this is not all there is. Um, and he says this phrase, you know, live out your time here as foreigners in reverent fear. Super important when we read bits like this, like this is not about us being afraid of God. It's not that we should be frightened of him because it, it says elsewhere in the Bible, doesn't it, that his perfect love casts out all fear. So it's not about being frightened. Um, but it's, it's about understanding that God is perfect father and actually almighty judge as well. Um, so it's this respectful awe, if you like, of, gosh, this almighty God. But always understanding, but my goodness, this almighty creator God calls me daughter, chooses for me to approach him as dad. Um, but it's holding those two things. It's, it's awe, not fear. Um, because, listen... It, while we are absolutely forever free of all our sins because of what Jesus did, like if, if you have positioned yourself to believe what Jesus has done for you and make him Lord of your life, you are never going to be condemned for your sins. Like that's amazing good news. But, but God does want us to be fruitful. He does want us to do stuff with our life. And, you know, and the Bible does talk about actually there's, there's reward and he wants to see that the stuff that we put our hands to, like he wants that to be stuff that lasts. Um, you know, there's a parable in the Bible, isn't there, about the servants who get given different bits of money. Um, you know, and, and God's heart is that actually we invest what we've been given so it grows. So that actually, and I'm not just talking about money here, but actually so our lives are fruitful. So the kingdom is bigger and is expanded because of how you and I have lived our lives. But this isn't, this definitely shouldn't be anything to make us fearful um, because he's perfect father and mercy always triumphs over judgment i think you know if you think about it in earthly terms you know you know god is not going to condemn us for our sins because jesus has paid the price so if we accept what jesus has done we're just not condemned for our sins but he, he does want us to do stuff with our hands but he's a perfect father so it's it's not like he's therefore going to condemn us over what went wrong he's going to celebrate what went right you know, like the dad who puts the three-year-old's picture up on the fridge, which isn't an amazing work of art, but as a dad, you celebrate, look what you did, that's awesome. Like, that's what God's heart towards us is, is he wants us to do stuff. You know, and even if initially it's like, it's, you know, it's a three-year-old attempt, well, that's fine when you're three, that's okay, but he wants us to be fruitful. Um, Verse 18 to 21, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Peter always, if you, you know, I would really encourage you to kind of keep reading through 1 Peter, and you'll notice he, he, he just always comes back and keeps looking at just the work of Jesus on the cross. Like it, it just, he just, it's like inescapable for him. He comes back to it, comes back to all the time. And the truth of the good news that because we believed in, through Jesus, we believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. So we have faith and hope because of what Jesus did. Peter is always aware of what Jesus did. 
um, you know, he walked with Jesus through his life. He was, you know, he was around when he died and he saw him again when he was resurrected. So, you know, it's just like he cannot escape from and he keeps calling the early church, reminding them, he's saying, look, listen, you were redeemed. That means rescued. That means brought back. Yeah, so it's like you, the, the ransom, if you like, if you were, you know, if you were hijacked, you stole it, the the price has been paid for us, but it was a high price. It wasn't just with a ton of money. It was with you know, the very life and death of Jesus. Um, but he's saying, look, there's such permanence. There's such, you know, he talks about it, it's imperishable. Silver and gold is perishable. Yeah, it goes. But what he's saying is, look, what Jesus did for you is just, it's not going anywhere. It can't perish. Um, just, it's amazing. And so he's always, always, always like reminding people and just bringing people's focus back to just remember what Jesus did for you. Remember the, the price that he paid, which tells you how valuable you are. Um, and then we go into verse 22. Um, I'm not going to read all that just for the sake of time, but keep your Bibles open so you can keep sort of referring back to it. For me, verse 22 through to verse 3 of chapter 2 is really, I think, Peter unpacking what does this kind of call to holy living look like it, it almost gives it a bit of sort of practical outworking because really the the crux of this passage and where I really want to kind of focus this morning is in verse 15 16 where it says for just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because I am holy so that's kind of what I want to look at really um, and look at what does that mean like what does be holy actually mean because um, I think for the most part we often have maybe a wrong idea. So the Greek word that is used here um, is hagios, for holy. Um, and it means set apart or separate, and particularly in this context, without sin. Okay, so that, that's what he means. So be set apart, separate, for God, without sin. Um, and I want to look at like how that happens, because... There absolutely is a responsibility and a response on us um, and on, on us being holy. And I, and I kind of want to focus in on that really this morning, this practical outworking of being holy, this active involvement on our parts. I think that's why he starts this passage with get your brain in gear, start thinking. Um, and Peter's focus very much in this passage is, is, is look what Jesus has done. But look what you need to do. Like there absolutely is responsibility for you and I um, on this being holy. But I want to paint a very brief, a broad picture of, um, listen, being holy, there's God's part and there's our part. just want to quickly look at those. Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That's what Jesus has done. That's God's part. If you look there, um, like I, I, I'm not involved in that. I haven't done anything there. God's done that. He has reconciled me through Jesus to present me Holy in his sight. Listen to this. Holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Other translations say as if you'd never sinned. And that is entirely God's work, not mine. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God 
by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of, the God, of our God. Again, God's part. Like the only thing we've done in that verse is we've called on the name of Jesus. Like that's it. That's the only part. But the, the, the work in making us holy is entirely God's. And look, it's past tense. You know, so if you have called on the name of Jesus, this is past tense for you. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. Full stop. Like you were. That is God's work. And it is highlighting the price that was paid, like the work of Jesus on the cross to pay for all the sins of the world for all time. God did it in Jesus. So Jesus' death has made us holy. It has cleansed us. It has set us apart. It has made us holy. Made holy by God. Absolutely. And listen, this is all grace. Grace means I definitely didn't earn it. I definitely didn't deserve it. But he definitely has given it me nonetheless. That's grace. And it's the work of God, because of his grace and love for us, to make us holy. But that does not mean, because God has done all that work to make us holy, that does not mean that there is therefore no responsibility on our part and I can live what I like because God's done it. Um, it does not mean that we can do that. You know, There is a high call now to live lives that reflect the holiness that we've been given. So it's a response to what's been given. I think sometimes we think, you know, the, the sort of the, the battle for holiness and to live a right life is, is, is almost like a fight to get somewhere. Whereas it's really not. The, the deal you need to understand is that you've been positioned somewhere. You've been made holy. Now, yes, there's some effort. Yes, there's a fight. But the fight isn't to get there. The fight is to stay there. You're positioned there. You were given that position of holiness by God, by his grace. Didn't, we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we're there nonetheless. But listen, there absolutely is a fight to, say that, to stay there so that how I, how I live, how I speak, how I think reflects this position that I've been given because of Jesus. So there absolutely is our part too. That's what I want to look at. There is a responsibility on each one of us if we you know, have called on the name of Jesus and would call ourselves Jesus followers, we'd call ourselves Christians, there's absolutely a responsibility on us to live radically holy lives, lives that absolutely are set apart for God. It isn't good enough to live lives that just look like anything else. Like, that's not good enough. We absolutely have a part to play. Let's look at a couple of passages. Um, When Paul's writing to Timothy, he says this in chapter 2, verse 21. Um, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, is that phrase again, useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. This is one of those amazing Bible tensions, which you know I love. So on the one hand, 1 Corinthians is saying, you were cleansed by God. And here it's saying, um, if anyone cleanses himself, He's like, well, has God cleansed me or am I cleansing myself? And the answer you know is yes. It's both of those things. We have been cleansed by the work of Jesus, but there is this ongoing requirement. It's not a contradiction. I know it, it, it sounds and feels like it a little bit, but it's, it's both and. Um, it's actually that we, there is a part for us to play in cleansing ourselves, washing ourselves, getting rid of anything that's dishonorable in order you know, to be a vessel that God can fill and can use. So here, the call is to cleanse yourselves in order to be set apart as holy. It's this partnership. There's God's part, but there is our part too. 
Um, and actually in this one Peter passage, um, in the same thing. So verse 22 um, says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. So again, like, I've got to do something about this. Again, it's not just passive sit back, God just fix me, make me better, make me live a holy life. I have to engage. You have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. And look, it has an amazing, you know, this is the thing. Being holy has to have an outworking. So verse 22, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love each other deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Again, listen, it's always calling us back to the gospel. Because you've been born again of this imperishable seed, then you need to purify yourself. And it's going to look like loving each other deeply and radically. So there's a part for us to play. Purify yourselves. And then in verse 2 of chapter 3, therefore, rid yourselves, not Sit back and wait till God gets rid of all this in your life. You do it. Rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every time, of every kind. And really, if you think that those things particularly are the absolute sort of opposite of loving each other deeply, you know that is, all of those things—malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander—all of that is thinking and speaking the worst of people. You know, like, and we're called to be different. Like it's, it's not supposed to be naive and bury our head in the sand, but we are out of, you know, we should have a stubborn determination to always think the best of people in every situation. Now, am I saying we don't kind of confront stuff? Nope. You know, am I not saying there's times we need brave communication, we need to talk about stuff? Absolutely. But our landing position is, I want to see the very best in you. And that's tough sometimes, but that's part of... Um, that's part of this process of purifying ourselves and ridding ourselves. But there's this... It's active requirement to rid ourselves. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of other passages, a brilliant bit in Ephesians 4, uh, Ephesians 2, where um, you know, Paul says, you know, so take off the old life and put on the new. There's very much a requirement for us to be doing some stuff. There's some stuff we need to take off and there's some stuff we need to put on. Um, it's active involvement in our part. Um, it's really helpfully um, this kind of partnership between God's part and our part in being set apart as holy. It's really helpfully explained in Philippians, I think. Um, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay, what does that mean? It means God works it in and we work it out. Yeah? God does it. He, may, he sets us apart as holy, but we need to live as holy. God works it in, but we need to work it out. Work it out doesn't mean necessarily just figure it out. Like I, I, I want us to think. I want us to use our brains. But it, it, that's not what it means. It means practically demonstrate the new living translation of the bible translate that little section saying work hard to show the results of your salvation like effort put some effort in people work hard to show the results of your salvation we should look different than we were before we knew jesus and actually as we know jesus we should keep i should look different than i did two years ago 
and I should look better than this in another two years. I've got to work it out because I'm saved, because of this amazing hope that I have in Jesus. My life needs to look different, and I need to work at that. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. But even as we're doing that, this is, this is what's so phenomenal. Even as we're doing that, God is even going to give us the desire and the ability to do it. Even as he's saying, I need you to live a holy life, he's going to come say, and by the way, here's everything you'll need to do that. Again, that translation, um, verse 13, God is working in you. So you work hard. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Um, And again, actually, the New Living Translation translates that bit. For God is working in you, giving you, listen to this, two things, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's amazing. He's going to help you want to do the right thing, and he's going to help you be able to do the right thing. And I know we, listen, I know we don't always feel like that. You know, someone's like, I really don't want to do the right thing. I really want to do the wrong thing. But actually, God is changing us and working in us so that actually, you know what? I increasingly, I do want to do what pleases God. And it's not just that he's going to, you know, God is never going to call us into something that he's not going to enable us to walk in. I just, I don't believe that. I don't think he sets impossible tasks. Well, I do. I think he sets impossible tasks and then gives us everything we need to reach them. He's going to do that. He's going to give you the power as well as the desire to absolutely do what pleases him. That's amazing. So God works it in us, but we have to work it out. And listen, to do this, to get this, we have to have a proper understanding of what grace is. You know I love talking about grace, and I'm not going to talk about it for ages. We've talked about it a lot, but... I want us to have a proper understanding of what grace is and an absolutely sure commitment to to stand in grace and to live in grace. So grace is the um, the unmerited favour of God. It's everything that we get that we just didn't deserve, um, that we are made holy and forgiven of all our sins for all of time by a perfect and holy God. I did not deserve that. I can never deserve or earn that, but he's given it to me nonetheless. That's grace. But grace does not mean it's like this massive you know, eraser that any time I do anything wrong, it's just scrubbed out, and that's all it is. It's so much more than that. It is sufficient to forgive and cleanse me of all my sins for all of time, but it's more than that. It's also the empowerment to be holy in all that I do. And it's inadequate for us to have an understanding of grace that is, it's all of God's work, and so whenever I mess up, it doesn't matter. Like his grace covers every time we mess up, but we need to understand his grace empowers us so that actually we mess up less often and less severely than we did. Yeah? We have to have a proper understanding of grace. Otherwise, you know, and this is, you know, if you look in the Bible, if there's, you know, this idea of, well, grace is a big get out. You know, God's done it all so I can live however I like, permissive lifestyle, do what I like, doesn't matter, because it's covered by grace. You know what? And there's, frighteningly, there's a, a leaning in some bits of the church that will peddle that garbage. And honestly, it's garbage. You can't read the New Testament and land there. You really can't. Just look in Romans 6. Seven times, Paul says, do not sin anymore. Be dead to sin. Like He goes on and on and on. And it's definitely because people are coming and saying, well, if there's, you know, if the more I sin, there's more grace. Well, surely I should just sin more, shouldn't I? Pretty much is what they're saying. And his brilliant opening line is, "By no means." He's basically saying, "Are you kidding me? Like, no way. Like, there's just no way we can land there. That grace means I can do what I like, and it doesn't matter." Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian, says this about, and, he, and that he has this phrase called cheap grace. 
which is this. He says, this quote, cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. I love that. Like cheap grace is it cost me nothing to be saved and be made holy, and so it costs me nothing from here on in. It's like I didn't pay any price to get here, and so I'm not paying any price from this point onwards. And that is not okay. And that will not result in being holy in all that we do, which is what Peter's calling us to. Be holy in all that you do. And be holy as he is holy. Listen, we're not called to make an attempt or have sort of a token gesture towards holy. Um, Actually, we're called to be holy like God is holy, which is complete and perfect holiness all the time in all that he does. He is perfectly, completely holy all of the time, and we're called to be holy like that in all that we do. It's not good enough to be holy in activity but have a stinking attitude. That's not holy in all we do. It's not okay to be you know, holy with our finances but not with my relationships. It's not okay to be holy on a Sunday and just do what I like the rest of the week. Like That's not okay. That is not holy in all that we do. We need to be holy as he is holy, completely and consistently. And you know what, bottom line, this is about maturity. So when the beginning of chapter 3, when he started off saying, look, get rid of all this stuff. And he says, verse 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. We have to grow up. And growing up will look like increasingly holy lives. And listen, there's two cautions I do want to say kind of as a caveat. We have to hold this in understanding as like, hey, we're in process, and I get that, yeah? Like, I under, you know, we are being changed to look more and more like Jesus, and we absolutely don't get it right all the time, and there is grace for that. And so I want to absolutely say, absolutely, there's process. But you can do it, and you will get there. But it's okay that there's process. But I want us to be really careful. Um, I really want to hit hard with this. We are called to live holy lives, guys. And, and we need to be careful that we don't use that language or thinking of process as bottom line an excuse for compromise or passivity or don't really matter because it does matter so yes this process but it's not that we're supposed to shrink back and conform to how we were or what the world standard says because that we're called to something higher than that we're called to the standard of perfect holiness in god but also, I do want to make sure it would be so easy if we didn't have, this is why you know, we start with this idea, if we didn't have this understanding of we are saved by grace and accepted as sons and daughters, if that peace is not secure, it's so easy to fall back and to be very religious about this. You can read that passage as a requirement of you know, duty, obligation, do the right thing, don't do the wrong thing. Um, we have to make sure that this holy living only flows healthily when we understand we have a relationship with Father God, that's where we start from. Um, and, and really, I think, I think it would help us if we had a right understanding of what holiness is. I think, you know, sometimes we think, you know, be holy, that means it looks like, you know, standing aloof, being a bit judgmental, being rather repressed, very boring. Like, I just don't think that's what holiness is. We should look at Jesus. Jesus was perfect in holiness. So if you want to know what holiness looks like, you look at Jesus Jesus was always with people. He was always with the broken people who were messing up and getting it wrong. 
and not conforming to the religious standard of the time. He was with the people who were in a mess sexually and, you know, fiddling the bosses and stealing money. And, like, he was with the messed up people. There's nothing religious or standing aloof or judgmental about Jesus. He came not to judge the world but to save it. So us being holy does not look like being judgmental and aloof and repressive. It also says in, in Hebrews, talking about Jesus, it says he was anointed with joy above anybody else. So the idea that holiness looks boring and staid and you know, restrictive is nonsense too. Actually, holiness is actually where there's going to be fullness of life. So if you want to know, you know, we want to know what holiness looks like, it looks like Jesus because he was perfect in holiness. And so really, listen, Peter bookends this, if you like. There's this call in the middle to be holy in all that you do, which means, listen, you've got to purify yourselves. You have to get rid of stuff in your life that you know is dishonorable, is not holy, is anything less than God's perfect standard for you. You have to be radical about it. Um, but he, he bookends this high challenge almost with these two things that I, I think the more I read this, that it kind of, it, it frames everything Peter does. And on the one hand, it's the, hey, look back at the price that was paid for you. And on the other, it's look forward to the inheritance that you have. Like his view of heaven and eternity and the hope that he has there and his understanding and, you know, what he'd seen of the price that Jesus paid to give us this, you know, amazing holiness. Like that, that bookends everything. And so that needs to be the same for us. That needs to frame our call to holiness. It needs to frame our commitment to being holy in all that we do. Um, because actually, you know, when stuff that goes on in the middle, in how we process life, we need to process it with those two things firmly in place. Look at the price that was paid for you and look at the inheritance that you have. And, and listen, remember, you know, the inheritance we have absolutely is kept in heaven and is, it, there's no way that that's going anywhere. But actually, heaven comes to earth increasingly. It's not, it's not that we get saved and we just have to muddle through and finally things will be all right in heaven. You know, heaven comes to earth and increasingly life is better now. We have inheritance to spend here on earth as well. Um, but, you know, so anytime there's stuff when we're, you know, actually we are living disciplined life. Like, I, you know, I really don't want us to have any of that sort of cheap grace. That actually it doesn't cost me anything and there's not a place for discipline. And there's not, you know, I can just, you know, tolerate, you know, a little bit of sin here, a little bit of sexual immorality here, you know, slightly tweak my, you know, finances here. Like, that's not okay. But if we have these two things in place what Jesus paid for us and the inheritance we have, then actually anything that feels challenging, hard, maybe unfair, maybe costs us, maybe feel like, actually, am I missing out on something? Actually is put in its proper perspective. You know, it finds its place and meaning when we keep our eyes fixed on what Jesus has done for us and what is promised ahead of us. But I want us to, you know, so we, but I want us to have that understanding that being holy is not about restriction, legalism, repression. Like it just isn't. It's, it's fullness of life for all of us. But I, I want us to commit to being holy in all we do. And I want you to be able to kind of invite the Holy Spirit to say, well, come and show me where that's not there yet. You know, that's, and that's really what it is. It's about the life of the Holy Spirit, the clue is in his name, to make us more like Jesus. Actually, so we live according to the Spirit, and the fruit is going to be what God wants. When we live you know, without the Holy Spirit... We might try and do it by ourselves, but that's religion, or we're just going to keep falling. Like, we need the Holy Spirit 
to enable us to live holy lives. So why don't you stand? I want us to pray for one another.